the title of his message is View from the Mountaintop, Lessons from Elijah. So let's welcome Jason again. I thought I'd asked you to make up some stories about my greatness. You said you would do that. It's true. It's true. He didn't. You want another crack at it here? So they, they, they won't know that I haven't climbed Mount Everest. If you say it, they'll think it's true. So, so uh, you have a little, a little more context for me now than, than the last session. And so uh, starting to feel a little bit more at, more at home and at ease. Uh, you have been, hold on a second, only got two hands. You have been so gracious and kind and welcoming, so I just want to I, I thank you. Uh, a lot of you have thanked me. It's, it's truly, when I say this, it's an honor and it's a privilege, and I'm happy, to, I'm happy to spend a Saturday morning with you and to do this stuff, so thank you. And I'm sure some of you ha- didn't like the first session, so thank you for not coming and telling me that. You, I appreciate that as much as you who have said kind things. So... Um, you know, we talked the first session about your responsibility and your office as leaders of providing care, how we, how we can best provide care, how we can best shepherd. And so uh, the second session, I want to take the focus and aim it at ourselves a little bit. Uh, there's lots of words for what we're going to talk about, compassion, fatigue, burnout, uh, all those things. But the truth is, when we provide care, even when we are fully providing that care through the inspiration and the care of the Holy Spirit, it's exhausting. It's tiring. Um, and so, so what do we do? How do we? How do we? A. How do we combat that? How do we put systems in place to deal with that? Um, because I do think that no matter how robust you are, no matter how trained you are, how, how seasoned you are, you will tire. You will tire. It's 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 part of the it's part of the the system. It's part of the body breaking down. It's part of of being born unto death. Uh, I'll have people say, "Well, if you're doing the Lord's work, if you're truly doing the Lord's work, you won't tire out." Uh, and I'm like, "Well, then you haven't read Jesus, uh, because he he tires, right? He says, i 'I'm tired. I gotta go. I gotta go be by myself. That's how Christ recharges his batteries.' And so, so if if you're one of those people who just is never tired out, or you don't think you should tire out, um, we'll pray for your delusion later. For the rest of us, we'll talk about we'll talk about the burnout process. So I have a I have a friend who runs marathons and I, I've I've never ran a marathon. I, I'd like to think I could run a marathon, so I'll just prefer to keep it in that arena because I don't know that I could. Twenty six miles. I don't and if you ran a twenty six mile race, it's gotta be substantial. My friend, he's qualified for the Boston several times and he's he's ran it several times and he's always trying to get me to do a marathon with him. Uh, and I just haven't. I, I don't. I don't think I will. His last marathon he did was last spring. He hasn't ran one since. He usually does two or three a year. And the and the last one he was trained for. He was ready for. It felt just like any other marathon. And he got to mile number fourteen, and he started walking. And he's just he's never had that experience before. Um, and so mile 14 is pretty early to start walking if you're going 26 miles. And so then he ran and then he walked and he ran and he walked. And I had the opportunity to meet with him afterwards. Um, and he, and he said, I'm never running another, I'm never running another marathon again. You know, this is a guy who's done, you know, double digit marathons, was planning to do double digit more. And this experience just scared him, scared him off. 
because he'd never experienced not being able to complete the marathon in not only running, but in a, in a, in a marathon pace, a qualifying pace. Um, and so it, it just hit me, you know, like we burn out in everything. You can be trained, you can, you can be exercised, you can be using your gifts, you can be using your talents, and you can hit the wall. We wear out. And so I want to talk about that, that burnout process, that, that wearing out process. Full disclosure, this is one of my hobby horses. Uh, this is what I wrote my doctoral dissertation on was pastoral burnout, um, how, how we recognize it, what causes it, how we treat it. And so this is something that's near and dear to my heart. And of course, as someone who's served in vocational ministry for almost 20 years now, it's something that I've experienced, and no doubt you've experienced to some extent. And we can, we can quantify that how we want. We can measure that how we want. We don't want to be competitive about who's burnt out more and harder. But the truth is, we've all, we've all hit that wall at some point. For me, it was three years ago when I moved to Wisconsin. Now, I had never experienced any such thing at this point. I, I'm a pretty high-energy guy. Um, I, I, I don't mind... Um, doing a little hard work, a core value of mine is hard work, so I'd never experienced it. Uh, my ministry my ministry has, has started out by, by being an associate pastor twice, but then I was, I was contacted by a little church in Munich, Munich, North Dakota, not Munich, Germany, a town of, a town of 300 people in the middle in the middle of nowhere. And so, People from Wisconsin, I, I love you, I feel like I'm one of you, but you don't know what rural is, okay? Until you, when, when, we, interviewed, when we interviewed in Beaver Dam, when we interviewed in Beaver Dam, one of, the, one of the people said, don't worry, don't worry, we're only 30 miles from, from Madison, there's all the shopping you could need in Madison, and I said, we have a, a Menards, a Walmart, and a McDonald's, like, what more do you need, you know? And, and so that's a context. So when we were, let's put it this way, when we were in Munich, North Dakota, the nearest super Walmart where you could get groceries was 180 miles away. Okay. Yeah, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. The nearest Costco, so if you like to buy in bulk, was 240 miles away. Yeah, you... But that works out if you're going to Costco once a month, right? You just load up the van. And so we're talking rural. So we were contacted by this church in Munich, North Dakota. Um, it was a Mennonite church. And uh, now my background is charismatic. And, and uh, so a Mennonite was not really the, the, the realm I was prepared for. But they reached out and said, we recently went through a, a split. The church is about 100 years old. Uh, we're down to about 25 members. And... Um, you know, we, we would just love some young guy to come in and try and speak and breathe life into it. And so my wife and I didn't really fully comprehend what that sacrifice meant and what it would look like for us. So we said, we'll commit to two years. And we moved to Munich, North Dakota, lived in a parsonage, and uh, we, we started the work there. And it was a, it was a blessed work. It was two years. There, the pastor before had been fired. It had been very difficult. It had been very painful. We got there, and the Lord moved. And, and in two years, we just saw this massive turnaround, all, all kinds of new life and new family and new conversion. It was, it was wonderful. We knew it wasn't a forever home, though. And so, so we were contacted then by another church about a year and a half in. 
we were contacted by a church in Rugby, North Dakota, the Geographical Center of North America. There's a statue and everything. We were contacted by an evangelical free church, if, you, if you're familiar with that. And they contacted me because I was friends with a friend of a friend. And they'd found out what had happened in Munich. They said, we have just recently fired our pastor. We have this massive debt. We have um, t- about 12 people in worship. Would you be interested, you know? And so uh, I said, I, I don't know what's not enticing about this to everybody else. So my wife and I committed to go to Rugby, North Dakota. And we spent five years in Rugby, North Dakota. And it was fantastic. It was this amazing turnaround. Um, and so you know where the story's going. So after about five years, we, we had a, a new facility. We were debt-free. We had multiple staff. It was so exciting. It was so fun. Uh, we were contacted by a church in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. And that's what brings me to you. And so the contact came through our superintendent, who talked to the superintendent in Wisconsin, the Forest Lakes District, they call it. And they, he, he says, we got this church in Wisconsin that's just a dumpster fire. And my superintendent says... I got a guy who loves dumpster fires, and so I received a phone call. I've okay, so my contact, my context with Wisconsin, I have driven. I had to this point in my life, I had driven through Wisconsin one time, and the only thing I knew about Wisconsin is that it had the Dells. That's it. I drove by the Dells one time, and I was like, that it, that looks awesome. And I've since been there. I know that it is a trap. Don't go. It will cost you all your money. Um, But that's my only context. And so they called me. uh, A a gentleman by the name of Eric called me and said, we are just in a world of hurt. And your superintendent said that you might be a guy who would have interest in coming into this. And I said, where are you? He said, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. And I said, no, thank you. And that's the true story. I hung up the phone, and I went for a bike ride. I like to do long-distance bicycling. I hope to do that later today with the beautiful weather. And I went out for a bike ride, and I was riding an older bike. Of I have several, and this was one of the older bikes. And I was thinking, I think I should get a new bike. And the Lord just spoke to me vividly and, and passionately. Um, he said, you always preach restoration, and you're going to throw away this perfectly good bike and get a new one. <sighs> and so I turned around on my bike ride. I didn't even finish it. I, I just turned around right there, and I came home, and I called Eric, and I said, we need to have a longer a longer phone call. And so, oh, we, we met, and we came out here, and we interviewed, and Harvest uh, had, had at one time been a pretty fruitful um, ministry. It had a, a season of real soul winning, and it was exciting, and... and um, <clears throat> It just wasn't that when when they reached out to to my wife and I and uh, I I thought I thought I was prepared for this I'd done it twice before right and there'd been sweet joy in it twice before and so we we moved out and um, we instantly regretted it I mean we we got here and uh, it, I I saw things in the leadership meetings I saw things with Bleely people. People, we're not talking about wolves in sheep clothing. We're not, we're not talking about the unregenerate in our church. We're, we're talking about godly Christ-centered people who are just taking shots at each other. And it, it happens. It just happens. Where there is no leader, uh, people do what's right in their own eyes, right? Just read the book of Judges. And so they're taking these shots at each other. And, and, and it's just, I'm just, the, I use the illustration, I was the frog 
thrown into the boiling water. You know, they had been boiled so long that this is this is normal. We do this. We insult each other's wives at elder meetings. Like, you know, and you know, like, this is weird. You know, like, um, I, I don't know how to deal with this. And so we, we came here. And so we had a we had our dream house back in rugby. We 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 had great family, and we moved out to Wisconsin. You know, nine hours to our nearest family, and we lived in this little just dumpy apartment because we wanted to find a house. So we just rented first, and we rented sight on the scene. And and my wife was pregnant. When she gets pregnant, she's just really ill. And so she's she's laying on the couch all day. I'm at the church fighting people all day, coming home. And my three kids are going crazy because mom's been laying there. And it was just, it was a train wreck. It was just awful. And, and so, and the worst thing happened during those first three months. Our church tripled in size. And... No, you. What? That sounds great. No, when it's uh, just that's just a bigger dumpster fire, right? <laughs> it's just more flames. And, and so, during that time, during that time, I I got two job offers. I got two job offers. I got the first job offer I got was to go to my alma mater and teach uh, uh, in in their psychology department. I thought, boy, that is of God. That's got to be God calling. And you know, he's just he, God is just not typically one month late. You know that, right? He usually he usually gets it spot on, you know, that's kind of that whole God thing. And, and so I said, no, this, this has got to be the one time it was a month late. And godly, my godly wife, who's like, no, nah, I don't think that's how God works. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm like, and then we got another job offer to be, to be the executive director of a, of a Christian counseling practice in, in a place that I'd really like to live. And I said, that's got to be it. And, and my wife says, no, I don't think that's how God operates. No, she's not having a wonderful time either right? It's not like she, she's enjoying our time here. And there's this massive dumpster fire. Our kids are going crazy. They're all wanting to go home. And my wife miscarries during that time, just a terrible time. And so, so you know, and our elders are too busy punching each other, not literally, but figuratively to, to even provide care for me. And I'm, I'm just wounded and wandering and the church is exploding in growth. And, and, and three months in, it just hit me. I was burnt out. I was just exhausted. I put on 45 pounds. Yeah. Now, partly, that's just welcome to Wisconsin, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, you know not everything has to have beer and butter, right? You're aware of that, right? But no. So, four, 45 pounds, um, and you can look at, I, I log every mile I bike, okay? I log every mile I bike. It's, it's borderline neurotic, I know. And you can go back to those three months and look at my biking. You know, and that was, that's all the measurement you needed. That I, I was just not even biking. And so three months in, we had a very hard conversation with the elder team. I, I, said, I said, you know what? Because God does this, right? He puts it on your heart. Because all of a sudden you go, I don't mind leaving the people who hired me. But what about the 200 people who started coming here in the last three months? And so I said to the elders, I said, you know what? If, if, if this is how it's going to be, I'm just going to plant a church in Beaver Dam and take everyone with me. And you guys can fight. You know, you guys can have the building. And, and, and they just all like, it was like a veil. You know? All, all those elders, by the way, are still 
in our church. All those elders are still serving, not in elder capacity. We did have to move some people in their correct giftings, right? There was just some people that probably shouldn't have been in that office that were in that office, and it, they weren't ungodly people. It wasn't like they didn't love the Lord. It was just they were serving in places where they weren't most gifted. And so uh, th- since then, it's been this long recovery. Uh, the church is doing wonderful, however you want to define wonderful, but it's been, lo- it's been harder for me to get that joy back. And I am, I'm not leaving. I'm full of joy. I don't feel burnt out right now. But it hit me. Even when you are in your giftings, and even when you are experiencing the most fruit in your ministry, and even when it should be the most exciting time in your life, you can wear out. You can hit the wall. And when you take time to sit with Job in his pile of ashes and to scrape off his loathsome sores, you sometimes will experience collateral damage. It's part of, it's part of bearing each other's burdens. It's why so many people are resistant to do it. It's, it's costly. It's expensive. And so this session, I really am preaching to the choir. Uh, because ministry is so joyous. It's exciting, but it can be laborious, and, and, and we shouldn't weary in well-doing, but we should put systems in place and an awareness in place to deal with that compassion fatigue or that burnout. And so the, the message comes out of First Kings chapter 19. It's a guy by the name of Elijah. You ever wondered why Elijah has, a, has an apprentice named Elisha? Like, why... Couldn't have Elisha came 500 years later. Why couldn't it have been like Isaiah? Is a, but it's just the way it is. Elijah and Elisha are uh, contemporaries together. And we're going to look at Elijah. This is the, the, the predecessor. Elijah bursts on the scene. We don't know a ton about him, but all of a sudden he shows up. And he's got this dubious task of challenging Ahab, the wicked leader. And so he challenges Ahab and he says, Hey, I just want to let you know. It's not going to rain for three years. It's going to be so bad there won't, there won't be dew on the ground, Scripture says, until I give you the word. And then we have the next couple of years. Elijah, of course, runs off, and he, he lives along the river. He gets water from the river. The ravens feed him. You're familiar with this story. That stream dries up. He goes to stay with the widow. The widow has very little oil left, very little flour left. Elijah says, don't worry about it, that as long as we just keep making it and we're faithful, God will keep giving us more. And so this happens. The widow has a son who we know dies. She confronts Elijah, says, well, it would have been better if you never had even come to my house. And Elijah goes, prays for this boy, and this boy is raised from the dead. So we have some just amazing ministry taking place, a lot of ministry that is very par- parallel to the Messiah who will come in the New Testament, right? And so this is, this is all really good, useful, profitable, teachable stuff for us. And then we have what should be Elijah's pinnacle of ministry success. He has the dance-off with Ahab and his gods. He, he comes and he meets with Ahab and the priests and the prophetesses of Baal, 400 of them, and they have this just epic God challenge. They build altars, and we're familiar with the story, and, and the priests and prophets of Baal, they're, they're cutting themselves, and they're dancing, and all day, and they're crying out, and Elijah makes the funny joke, hey, where's your God? Is he using the bathroom? Right? It's just this beautiful human story, like we can, we can put ourselves in his story, right? And, and then, of course, Elijah dumps the water on his, and the Lord consumes it. Just talk about, could you imagine having a ministry like that? 
I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine the, your best day of ministry couldn't compare to something like this, could it? And, and Elijah, there's a really weird part that we oftentimes don't preach. Elijah takes the priests and prophets down to the river and he kills them. Right? He eradicates these wicked people from the face of the earth, and then he, then he gets in front of Ahab, and, and he says, you see those clouds? The rain is coming. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's kind of like Jonah, when Jonah says, just kill me. And God is merciful and gracious, and he doesn't. 1 Kings 19, I'm going to read quite a bit here, so you can just follow along, listen. Ahab told Jezebel, that would be Ahab's wife, Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, what I've just told you, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he, lo- and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of the food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it to pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek to take my life away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we have this powerful, wonderful text. And this text, although not been preached improperly, has oftentimes not been preached completely in its fullness. If we've studied this text with any great length, whether that be through video or through live preaching, oftentimes we focus on the whisper. God speaks in a whisper. Sure, he does. But there's so much more taking place in this text that's profitable and useful for us. Elijah has just had the pinnacle of ministry success. Put yourself in his shoes. 
What ministry are you leading in? What ministry are you giving to? And think about the best possible outcome that that ministry could have. Maybe you're working in the children's department. Think about vacation Bible school or, or midweek program or something where dozens or hundreds of kids come into true conversion. Or think about maybe working in the women's ministry and, 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 and pulling women out of sex trafficking and providing them stability and providing them a home and providing them a place to grow. And first, think of the amazing things that God does and can do in your ministry. And then think of the best that could happen. And this is Elijah. He's been three years in the drought. He's been three years in the wilderness. And now God shows his power in a mighty way. And Jezebel says, I'm going to kill him. You tell him he's good as dead. This is the guy who just called down fire. And he's scared because he's a human. Because he's myopic. Because he's us. And he runs out and he crawls under a broom tree. He leaves his servant. He wants to go and be by himself because he wants to go and die. He sits under the broom tree and the Lord says, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm ready to die. Just take me. Again, be grateful that I'm not your God. Because I would have just, oh, this is what you want. This is what you get. But God says, you are for an illustrative purpose for the age of the church and for us to use. So no, I will not kill you yet. In fact, Elijah is never killed, right? So Elijah, he, he grabs some food that just appears. He takes it, he eats it, he goes to sleep, he takes and eats again, and the Lord says to him, you're going to go to the mountain. Get, get to the mountain. We all want the mountaintop experience, don't we? And he, he goes 40 days, 40 nights, he gets to the mountain, he gets to the top of the mountain, he gets to the cave, and the Lord says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, you told me to come here. I alone am left. I'm all by myself, and you told me to come here. And then we have, you know, the, the wind and the fire and the hail and whatever else you want to insert there, because that's not the purpose of this story. And then the whisper, and that's how we get it preached all the time. But let me ask you the question, when did God speak to Elijah? under the broom tree. <laughs> he was with him the whole time. And he was speaking to him the whole time. In fact, you go to the book of Job when Elihu confronts Job and says, you say God doesn't speak to you. You're wrong. He does speak. You don't perceive. God's always speaking to us. He's not removing his, his voice from us. It's, it's oftentimes in the storm, in the frustration, in the misery of ministry. Yeah, it can be miserable sometimes. We, we block him out. We don't hear him. But he's there. He guides us. And so Elijah gets to the top, and we get a very real picture of why Elijah wants to die. Did you catch it? He wants to die because he's all alone. Did you catch that? Two times he says to God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one who wants to see your word go out and change lives and God says, okay, all right, Elijah. You're going to get off this mountain. You're going to go find Elisha. You're going to go appoint some new kings. And then, verse 18, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. He wasn't alone. He wasn't even one of 100. There was 7,000 that hadn't bowed. 
So, so he's got a mega church sitting there, and, and the whole time he felt alone, which brings us to this picture of ministry burnout. It doesn't matter how exciting ministry is. It doesn't matter how big ministry is. It doesn't matter how pinnacled ministry is. We were designed to be in relationship with God and with others. And when we're alone, and when we're doing it on our own, when we're the, the one guy in the boiling pot who was thrown in, it's exhausting. But it's not true. It's a lie. We're not alone. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed a knee. There's a hundred and some here who haven't bowed a knee. We're not alone. And so that, that exhaustion, that tiredness comes from a place of being by ourselves, just like Job sitting in his pile of ashes. It's all related. It's all connected. Uh, I put a couple of texts in there. We're not going to spend a lot of time in them because Greg made me write something down, so I wrote something down. But I want to talk about something else. So it's in there, and it's useful. But I came across, I, I, I've come across three times in Scripture where, where we've had mountaintop experiences. We're, we all want the mountaintop experience. Who doesn't want the mountaintop experience? And, and we know the old colloquialism, nothing grows on the mountaintop, and it's an axiomatic truth. God hasn't called us to live on the mountaintop no matter what self-help book you've read. He's called us to be amongst the people. Christ didn't live on the mountaintop. He was down in the valley. He was down doing the work. He was down in the mission. So you have Elijah. He gets to the top of the mountain in 1 Kings 19, and what does God do? He says, get off the mountain. You got to go down. Then you come across Moses in Exodus 19, and he's on the mountain. What is he up there to do? He's up there to get the law, and what does God say to him? Now take this law down to the people. Well, then you go to Peter in the Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. He gets up there. He sees Elijah, Moses, and cry, or, uh, yeah, Elijah and Moses, excuse me. And he says, let's build some tents. Peter says this. It would be good for us to stay here. And Jesus says, get off the mountain, Peter. God says through a voice, this is my son, listen to him. Get off the mountain. Go do and so what about when we're down doing and we're tired and we're exhausted and we're the Elijah or we're the Moses or we're the Peter? Because ministry is tiring and sometimes we can feel alone and sometimes we can feel like we're banging our head against the wall. Well, I, I got a pretty simple biblical model that I would like to give to you, just like my model for care. This one's even easier. You got to have a Paul in your life. You got to have a Barnabas in your life. And you got to have a Timothy in your life. Let me explain that to you. Who was Paul? He was a teacher. Paul was the teacher. He studied. He was, he was the Harvard-educated theologian, if you want to call him that. He was the lawyer. He was, he was everything that you would want to be if you were a Jew. He was the teacher. And, and he goes around. He plants churches. He does apostolic works. And he teaches people how to do that. Who is the Paul in your life? It's really funny that the Paul in my life is actually named Paul. Yeah, it's true. It's not, I'm not like super spiritual, like, no, it's Paul from the Bible is the only mentor I need. No, the guy in my life, his name is actually named Paul. And do you know that I call him, he, he doesn't live here anymore, or anymore, I shouldn't say anymore, he's never lived here. He doesn't live here, I don't live where he lives anymore. So we used to get together, and we would do a mentoring relationship. He was a guy, he is a guy who's got 30 years more ministry than me. He's done a lot. He's seen a lot. And he teaches me. And when I come against a wall, I call him and I go, what do you do? Uh, when you get the email that says this, Paul, and Paul says, oh, you're just 
Put it in the junk box, right? You just you, you just throw it away, or, or no, you probably need to address that. How, how does Paul know that? Well, he's done that. And so who's the Paul in your life? Because Elijah didn't have that, did he? Elisha had it. And by the way, Elisha had a really hard time letting Elijah go, if you know your Bible. It's hard to lose your mentor. We were talking in our, in our session, great session, uh, in between uh, the main sessions, we were talking about what do you do when you don't have a mentor? How do you, how do you find a mentor? That's the, that's the problem. It's an organic relationship. It's pretty hard to walk around and say, hey, would you mentor me? Would you, would you like to teach me? And, and so it's organic. And so if you don't have that, you, you need to put prayer priority into that. You need to seek out people who have done it or are doing it who might be able to invest in you. Because you can't, you can't not burn out without a little bit of Paul in your life. You need Paul to get you through. So, so the Timothy, we all get that, don't we? Timothy is Paul's student. You can read what Paul teaches to Timothy in the book of Timothy. All right? Shouldn't be hard for you to find. There's two of them. Paul writes to Timothy, and what is he telling Timothy? Hey, here is what you need to know as a young minister. Who's your Timothy? If you are having someone pour into you, who are you pouring into? Now, this is really difficult, right? Uh, this, can, this can sometimes be organic, and this can sometimes be hard to create on your own, but, but God has put energy and time into you, and you ought to put energy and time into those who will be coming up under you. Training up your replacements. I've got a Timothy in my life. He's a church planter in Fargo, North Dakota. And he calls me probably every week. And, and I all of a sudden feel like Paul in his life. Like, oh, man, you're worried about the wrong things. Don't worry about that. Like, you'll see. You'll see. We all need a, a Timothy to be investing in. And then here's the best one. We all need a Barnabas. You know what Barnabas isn't Barnabas's name? It's changed to Barnabas. What, what does Barnabas mean? Son of a gun. No, encouragement, right? Son of encouragement. Here is a guy who is so encouraging that they change his name. Do you have that in your life? I have that. I've got a pastor friend by the name of Mike, and I can call Mike, and Mike doesn't even need all the facts. He's just got my back. We need a son of encouragement in our life. We need somebody who's going to walk with us and say, boy, that is difficult, and they must be wrong, because I know you. And, and we, we need that constant affirmation and love from others who are doing ministry with us. Otherwise, we're just like Elijah, where we're on the mountaintop, and we're looking for a voice, and we're looking for a sign, and God says, what are you doing up here? Get down off the mountain and go do your job. That is the message from the mountaintop. So come back all the way. Come back all the way to Harvest. We've been there now three years. We have an entirely new elder board. Um, truthful, truthful, uh, completely new elder board. And the guys are wonderful. They are. And they're always, they're always checking in on me. They're always worried about the burnout. Well, because when a person puts on 45 pounds, and it was not of muscle, um, people tend to notice those things. And so... so those, those guys are always checking on me for burnout, which is cool, which is good. Um, but a couple of, couple of months back, we had one whole elders meeting where they were just like, almost like accusing me of burning out and not admitting it. You know, I'm like, what is, do they know something that I don't know? Like, am I, am I just that unaware? And they're just, you know, I, I think genuinely they just, they just really cared. And then it hit me. 
it, it profoundly hit me a couple days later, and I actually brought it back to our next elders meeting. The reason they were worried about burnout in me is because they saw what I was doing in ministry, and that would have burnt them out. Ha! You get that? So what burns Elijah out might not be what burns you out. And what burns you out might not be what burns me out. If you put me in an office and and make me put detailed notes together, Greg, I will burn out. I am not not a detail guy. I am so big picture that, you know, we have a staff. When we hire staff, we hire staff for my deficiencies. We got, I got lots of places we can hire, right? I, we have people, we have people that want to be kind on our staff. We have people who, it's true, we have people who want, who want to, uh, they want to be servants. I'm not, I'm not, you need your lawn mowed? Call Pastor Brex, he'll come mow your lawn. I'm not coming over to mow your lawn, right? We just all have different gifts. We just all have different gifts. And when we function in places that we're not always gifted or not always strong or not always uh, capable, that can lead to burnout. And so, so I, I appreciate my elders. I do. I was able to come back to them and say I'm appreciative because three years ago my elders weren't aware I was burning out, and now we have elders who are very aware even though I'm not. And so that's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. And if you have a Paul in your life, he's going to let you know that he's worried about you burning out. And if you have a Barnabas in your life, he's going to keep you from burning out. And if you have a Timothy in your life, you're going to help him to not burn out. There's a really, a really good story. I, I want to leave you with this really good story. Uh, it's probably the hardest sermon uh, I've ever preached. Um, it's not a whole other sermon, don't worry. Um, it's a sermon I've actually preached twice, and I'll explain to you why I preached it twice. We we go verse by verse through the scriptures in at harvest, and and I'm notoriously slow. And so we've been in Matthew for uh, two and a half years. We'll probably be there for another year. And uh, and I think when we're done, we're gonna go back to Matthew because everyone's forgot what's at the beginning. But um, <laughs> I was preaching through Matthew eight. No, I don't remember what. It, I'm going to read it out of Mark. So I don't remember where I was, but I was preaching through Matthew. And we had a young lady in our church who was dying. Now, when I say young lady, I mean a young lady. She was 38 years old. She has two, two little girls. And she, she was, when I was hired at the church, they were there, and she was completely healthy. Not a thing wrong with her. And uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, it was stage four right away. Uh, when they when they found it, and so our church went into the prayer process. Perhaps you've been a part of something like this, and we prayed for Jen, and we had we had healing services. Our church did something so cool. Um, we took up an offering and sent them to Disney World. Isn't that cool? I mean, and that wasn't my idea. I don't think like that. That's where I get people in your weaknesses, you know, hire them because they took up this offering because we said. Her girls need to have some good memories with mom, right? So we sent them to a week-long, all-expense trip to Walt Disney World, uh, and they came back, and we still prayed, and we still believed, and we still hoped, and, and she died the day after Christmas. She died after a year-long fight with cancer. Now, her two daughters at the time were, were eight and four, and I had to do the funeral, 
I'll never forget when the four-year-old girl who's a sweetheart came up to me and says, I just want my mom back. And I said, I got to preach now? Like, <sighs> you know, where you want, a, you want a Job moment. Where are you, God? It's a bigger story than this, though. Jen, Jen is securely with the Lord. I'm not worried about Jen one bit. I worry about her daughters. Pray for her daughters, but Jen's fine. Jen's fine. And Jen asked me to preach this sermon at her funeral before she died, which is just terrible, right? Like, I got to preach this again? But it moved her, and she wanted me to preach it. And, and I'm going to read it out of Mark, because Mark tells a little bit more detail. And in fact, at her funeral, I read it out of Mark, but she had heard it in our study of Matthew. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, there's a story about Jesus taking his disciples. So he's the teacher. And he's going to take his disciples across the sea, and the sea is very large. We know it to be, um, you know, it, it's not Lake Monona. It's a huge lake, right, 13 miles long, and, and it's in a bowl. And because it's in a bowl, it gets all kinds of crazy storms that hit suddenly. You know this text, Mark chapter 6, excuse me, Mark chapter 4, I apologize. I'm not, I'm not perfect. You already figured that out. Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds. And so on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and the great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, so we know that story. It's a wonderful story. If you read it in in context, the disciples are in the boat. It's night. Storm hits. Jesus is tired, right? We've talked about that already. He gets tired. Jesus is tired. He's asleep. And you just picture them sitting around like, is someone going to wake him up? Peter. Peter will wake him up. Peter, go wake up Jesus. And so they go, wake up Jesus. Jesus opens his eyes. What's going on here? And, and they say, don't you even care about us? Aren't you glad I'm not God? Boom, end of the story. <laughs> we already know that. This is what you want. This is what you get. This world would be very less populated if I was your Lord, right? Jesus wakes up, and it says they were scared of the storm. Catch that? And Jesus wakes up. You just get this picture of him being like, calm. All right? No theatrics. Just be still. Like glass. And then they were very afraid. Magos. Big. They were scared before. Now they were really scared because they knew who was in the boat. And Jesus says something very profound that if you're not careful, you'll miss it. You'll miss the whole point of the story if you don't read it contextually. 
Jesus says, why do you lack faith? Faith in what? They, he, he, he could have done anything. They already knew this. They knew Christ's power. What is he saying that they're lacking faith for? What did he say to them when they got in the boat? We're going to the other side. He never said there wouldn't be a storm. He never said that it wouldn't get rocky. But what did he say? We're going to the other side. So you, <laughs> you people have such little faith. I already told you where we were going. I didn't say we were going to die in the middle of the lake. I didn't say the boat was going to capsize. I said we were going to the other side. And Jen said, preach that at my funeral. (laughs) Because there's storms in this life. There will be Elijah moments when even when everything looks so good and profitable that you'll just be tired and exhausted. And Jesus says, yeah, but I already told you. I'm taking you to the other side. Pray with me. Lord, you're so good. I oftentimes think I can do this better than you. Break that spirit. You are perfect and holy and just and merciful and gracious, and you have this figured out. And so when the storms of life hit, when, the, when those times we sit under the broom tree and we just want to die, we thank you for your mercy and your, your, your grace and your love that you don't give us what we ask for, but you give us what we need. And so help us to be mindful as a room full of leaders, Lord, that you've called us to be caretakers of the world around us, of those under our leadership, but you've also called us into relationships of care for ourselves. Lord, let us not be like Elijah who are all alone, But let us have a Paul in our life who speaks so clearly and truthfully into our lives. Let us us have a Timothy, someone we're investing in. And Lord, oh, thank you, Lord, for Barnabas. Give us sons of encouragement to come alongside to get us through. Thank you for your love, Jesus, that you didn't promise us there wouldn't be storms. You promised us you'd get us through them. So help us to hold on to those truths like the disciples who were very afraid because they they finally recognized who you were. God who came down to be with us, Emmanuel. So we thank you most of all, Lord, for the gift of salvation that you gave us on the cross. Help us to take that precious gift and use it wisely. As we go into our next session, Lord, I pray for each teacher that your spirit would anoint them, that your spirit would be upon them, that the students' ears would be opened in ways that they couldn't even fully comprehend, but that they would know that you are at work in that room. We love you and we praise you and we thank you and we ask that this day would bring you glory and honor. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, class.